Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start with UFC 264. I thought about it this morning, and I could have gone with Game 3 of the NBA Finals, but I want to go back to what happened on Saturday night, UFC 264, because to me that was a hell of a night. And I made it back in town. I want to make sure that I came back off the lake and made it back to take that in because I knew that was going to be a big night, and it was. And that was a reminder of why there's absolutely nothing quite like MMA. Because what Saturday night was, was part three of Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. And for all the hype in the buildup and all the talk going into that fight about how it was going to go, I'm not sure anybody saw it going the way it actually went. I'm not sure that anybody anywhere, and even in a sport when you never know what's going to happen, I don't think anybody saw it ending the way it ended. So let me just go back and play the audio for you. Okay. Yeah, they both missed. It looked like they Look, came together. He fell back on his own yep. ankle yes, and broke yes. it. So at the end of the first round, Connor goes to plant his left foot, found out that he did not have a left foot, or that he put that left foot on backwards, or it was just shooting out in a direction that it's not supposed to go. I mean, call it what you want. I'm just going to say it was disgusting because that's what it was. It was disgusting. That was some Joe Theismann bleep right there. And that was the ending that nobody wanted to see. Nobody could have ever projected. And believe me, nobody wanted to see. Like, you never want to see a guy lose a fight because his ankle snapped like a twig. I don't care who the guy is. You never want to see that happen, ever. That said, don't get it twisted. Connor did not lose that fight. Dustin Poirier won that fight. Just like he won their previous fight. I know we can only say that it was just one round. And that anything can happen over the course of a fight. And that maybe in the second round, things might have been different. But I'm here to tell you, things were not going to be different. Connor was not going to win that fight. Connor was not the better man, nor the better fighter. If anything, that broken leg kept him from getting his face broken. And his skull cracked. Connor can try to convince everybody that that should go in the books as a doctor stoppage. And not a loss per se, but... Hoye was beating the hell out of him yet again. And that broken leg meant that Connor was getting off easier otherwise. Let me just go back to that in a second. Dustin, though, deserves his bleeping respect. All this guy has done in the last five years is go 8-1 and one with a no contest. He's beaten Anthony Pettis. He's beaten Justin Gaethje. He's beaten Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Connor twice. The only guy he didn't beat is Habib. And nobody beats that guy. So arguably, no one is fighting better right now or has been in recent years, not named Habib, than Dustin. So I get why all the focus was on Connor after the fight, but Dustin is the one who deserves the hype and the attention. And he's just not getting it. Not nearly enough anyway. Even when he beats the hell out of Connor two times in a row. So let's be really clear about that. That was not a fluke win for Poirier. That was a win, pure and simple. And all that busted ankle did 
or leg would save Connor from a longer, more prolonged beating on Saturday night. So I don't want to hear, like, we don't know what would have happened in the second round. Yes, we do. A lot more the same. Because for all that talk that Connor overlooked Dustin in January, for all that talk that he was coming back a new and more focused guy, and that this time it was personal for him, come to find out it was way more personal for Poirier. And he showed it. He showed it during the fight, and then he showed it after the fight. He showed it when he mocked Connor's strut, and then he had this to say about karma. Dustin, is this in any way anticlimactic for you, or are you happy about this victory? I mean, dude, you know, karma's not a she's a mirror. And, you know, this guy's pressed said the wrong and I've been busting and sometimes these things happen. And, nah, I beat the guy. He's right. All of that's right. Which brings me back to Connor, because Saturday night was not a good night for Connor. I mean, in any way, shape, or form, aside from his bank account. He breaks his leg, he loses the fight, and then did not exactly cover himself in glory, right? In his post-fight interview. In fact, and this is coming from a guy, you know me, if you know this show, this is coming from somebody who always loved McGregor. Always loved this guy. But he acted like a complete bag. After the fight, Dustin said as much when he called him, quote, a dirtbag in his post-fight interview. McGregor's off to the side, nursing his shattered leg, and Dustin's like, man, that dude's just a dirtbag. As for what Connor said, before I play it, let me just say this. If you were interviewing me after I put my ankle on backwards and my tibia shattered, I'm not sure that would be the finest interview of my life. In fact, forget doing an interview. I'd barely speak for a week. Not Connor. Man, my, way, my man couldn't wait to talk. And then he let it rip while sitting on the canvas with a busted stick. I was boxing the bleeding head off him, kicking the bleeding leg off him. You was what should do it to close the distance. This is not over. If we had to take this outside with him, it's all outside. We don't give a he said that he believes that one of the kicks that he checked is what broke your leg. There was no check. There was not one of them I checked. Your wife is in me DMs. Hey, baby. Hit me back on my chance later on. We'll be at the after party to win my cup, baby. You're looking bitch, you little Kim. Connor, you, you missed with a punch and stepped back. Tell us what you felt. Tell us what you thought was going on. Just the thing had separated and we bleed and landed on the wonky leg like Anderson Silva that time. Something similar to that. It's a f***ing mad hell business. <laughs> I mean, this dude, right? Not a good look. Not a good look at all. That might have done more damage to his rep as a fighter than anything that actually happened during the fight itself. Because that sounded like a dude who was desperate and flailing about. I mean, nothing more weird than a dude sitting there in the cage with his foot dangling from his leg and talking about the other guy's wife and her DMs after he just got the hell beat out of him again. I mean, it's just so weird and so strange and so desperate. And then saying, quote, this is not over after getting your ass kicked twice in a row and saying that you would take it outside right now when you're sitting flat on the ground with a busted leg is about the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, even Connor himself's got to know that, right? You can't be talking bleep when they're carrying you out on a stretcher. This is not over. 
It's pretty much over, Connor. At least that was over. So don't think for a second that people didn't notice the fact that he did a lot of talking about sending Poirier out on a stretcher when Connor was the one taking the stretcher ride in the end. I know he didn't want to lose that fight. And he sure as hell didn't want to lose it that way. But come on, right? You take the L and you keep moving. Like, this is a guy who used to be extremely classy when he lost, but not anymore. This is a guy who used to embody the win-or-learn philosophy. Now he's got the win-or-make-remarks-about-the-other-guy's-wife philosophy. That's the worst. Like, this guy is kicking ass at showing no class whatsoever. Conor has shown none of late. And here's an even more painful question, right? When was the last time Conor McGregor was Conor McGregor? Was it when he beat Eddie Alvarez? Was it when he was the double champ? When he came back and he beat Nate Diaz in that rematch? When, and then won a second belt? Like, that was pretty badass. That was historic. But that was also ancient history. That was five years ago. Five years in this game is a hell of a long time. What has he been since then? Let me tell you, he's been 1-3 in the cage since then. 0-1 in the boxing ring since then. He lost to Habib, twice to Poirier. And as much as I respect the Cowboy, that win over him didn't mean much at all. So, bottom line, and don't get me wrong about this, Conor can still fight. Conor is not some shot fighter who's just out there cashing checks. He can still fight, but he doesn't scare guys. Didn't scare Habib, doesn't scare Dustin. I can keep naming guys, but he doesn't scare guys anymore. That aura, that mystique, all that stuff that he had, it's gone. And once you lose it, you can't get it back. It used to be that guys were scared to get in the cage with Conor. You could see it in their eyes. They had lost that fight before it even started. They had lost the fight at the press conference or in the weeks of hype leading up to the fight. Now guys are practically fighting each other to get a chance to fight Connor because they know he's vulnerable. I'm not saying that he's washed. I'm not saying that he's finished. He'll turn 33 this week. He's got a lot of good years left if he wants them. But you know what? To me, it keeps coming back to the thing that Dana told me, Dana White, years ago. When you get the kind of money that Connor has now, the kind of money that sets up your family for generations to come, like how badly do you want to get punched in the face? How badly do you want to train? How hungry are you when you can eat whatever the hell you want? There are still good fights out there for him. An Nate Diaz trilogy fight would be amazing. There's a real good chance, of course, that we'll get a fourth fight with Dustin. And then people will do what they always do with Connor. They will line up. They'll throw down serious money for those fights. Except Connor needs to show up. He's got to deliver. He's always been the best talker in the game when he could back it up. When he could back it up, there was nothing better. But when he can't and he goes classless, then it's the worst look ever. In short, Connor McGregor needs to be Connor McGregor once again and soon. Like, as soon as that ankle allows him to be so. Your wife is in me DMs, hey, baby. Hit me back on my channel, I mean, different sport, different breed, different kind of trash talk, but there is a line. There is a line. You know, and Connor going on and on before the fight about how he was going to, quote, murder Dustin, going on about his wife. And then as he sits there, a beaten man yet again with a busted stick, screaming about Dustin's wife and how she's in his DMs. It's not cool. It's not funny. 
And by the way, bad strategy. You can't try to intimidate somebody who beat the hell out of you earlier in the year. If we had to take this outside with him, it's all outside. So recently I was trying to figure out what to give my wife Janet as a gift. You have to understand she wants nothing. Ever, 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 ever. Wants nothing, needs nothing, ever. So she's impossible to shop for. But then I discovered PaintYourLife.com. Because the thing that is most important to her is family. And it's hard to get family together all at once. We have a son in college now. Everybody's going different directions. But I want to find a way to bring us all together safely. So when I heard that we could do that at PaintYourLife.com, I thought, man, that is an amazing idea. It must be expensive, though. But it's not. These are paintings that are truly affordable, and the quality is absolutely amazing. What I'm talking about here is a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. And it's a quick and easy process. You can get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. I'm telling you, then you get it and you're absolutely blown away by it. And for me and my family, you literally cannot put a price tag on this. There is nothing, there's no store that I can walk into that would mean more to my wife than this. And at PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word ROME, R-O-M-E, to 64000. That's ROME, R-O-M-E, to 64000. Again, text ROME to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Once again, text Rome to 64,000. He is Ben Golver. Ben, always good to have you on. Ben, how are you? I'm doing very well, Jim. How are you? Great. Great. Great to have you back, Ben. So let me ask you this. Go back to game four of the Eastern Conference Finals and start there if you would. When Giannis first went down with that knee injury in that game and you initially thought or saw that injury, what was the first thing that went through your mind? Well, I thought for sure he was done at least a month, if not two months, and possibly the entire season. And we found out later that Giannis thought the same thing. I mean, uh, you you look at the scene. I mean, everybody's you know carrying him off the court. Chris Middleton is saying, you know, I could hear him scream. The body language from the Bucks players was just so down. They were barely whispering during their post game press conferences. It all just added up to one of those things of like the worst possible timing for your star to get injured, right? right on the brink of the NBA Finals they've been trying to fight for for years. And yet here this guy pops up, you know, a week later, ready to go, and he has back-to-back 40-point nights in the NBA Finals. I have no idea how he's doing it. I mean, going into this series, I thought Phoenix should be strongly, strongly favored uh, simply because of Giannis's uncertain health. I mean, they didn't even say he was going to be ready to go for Game 1 of the Finals until like an hour before tip-off. And yet here he is dominating in Game 3 and getting Milwaukee its first win. Ben, you answered my next question, but how the hell is he doing this? I mean, the guy's gone for 40-10 and 10 in the last two Finals games. He's not healthy. How do you wrap your head around that? I think some people are just built different. I mean, he's got an extraordinary story, Jim. If you just look at his body transformation from when he was 18 or 19 years old coming into the NBA, he has improved his body physically, his strength, his agility, his quickness his timing. He's improved that year after year after year. And at the same time, he's really worked on his skills as well. I think a lot of people like to focus on the missed free throws or the missed three-point shots. 
and say, okay, well, he's not really a complete player. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, this guy's got an unbelievable ability to drive off the dribble to get to the basket. He puts so much pressure on your interior defense. He's a really skilled and smart passer. He's unbelievably disruptive on the defensive end. He's worked on some hook shots. He's worked on some drop step, uh, turnaround jumpers. I mean, he is an absolute uh, you know, uh, handful uh, for anyone to cover. And I think you saw that last night with DeAndre Jordan. For the first time, or sorry, DeAndre Aiden, pardon me, the first time in these playoffs, he's really gotten into foul trouble. He just couldn't keep up with Giannis. And as soon as he's in foul trouble, Monty Williams and the Suns have nowhere else to go. Giannis just completely decimates their backups. And that's why Milwaukee's finally got their first win in this series and is trying to even it up in game four. Ben Golver is joining us. In fact, Ben, that's where I was going next. And you got me there because after the game, the topic of Aiden and foul trouble did come up. Monty Williams said, and I quote, it's hard to tell a guy what to do when a guy is running into you. End of quote. What did you make of that response? And if you are Monty Williams, what are you looking to do to slow Giannis down? Well, first of all, I think Monty Williams is the most polite person in the NBA. So he wanted to call out the NBA officials, but I don't know if he had the heart. You know, he was trying to do it as carefully as he possibly could, kind of tiptoeing around it. But I see this as a fascinating crossroads right here, Jim, because DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker have lived completely charmed seasons, right? I mean, these guys have been losing for years until this year. They had this incredible winning season, and everything goes pretty much right for them in the playoffs. They get through the defending champs, the Lakers. They sweep the Nuggets. Uh, they take care of the Los Angeles Clippers. And along the way, Aiton and Booker have answered every single test. There really hasn't been a moment for people like myself to nitpick their play because it's just been so consistent. And that rarely happens for guys when they're making their postseason debut, right? Well, now all of a sudden the rubber is hitting the road because both those guys did not come through in Game 3. You had Aiton in foul trouble. He actually started well, played very well, but the foul trouble completely derailed what Phoenix was trying to do. And then on the other side, Devin Booker was ice cold. He couldn't get anything going. And so it becomes a situation where these two young guys who they've counted on and who have delivered every single night throughout these playoffs are now all of a sudden question marks. You know, are they going to be able to step up, rise, uh, you know, to the moment? And for Aiden, I think what they're really focused on is his hands. They don't want him reaching. They don't want him leaning into Giannis. They want him to just kind of keep his own position and try to contest shots straight up and try to maybe avoid some of the ticky-tack fouls that can happen when Giannis is barreling at you uh, towards the hoop. And I think Chris Paul said it best. You know, defending Giannis is going to be a team effort. Uh, Aiden's going to have to have help. If he's just doing this one-on-one and Giannis is going downhill at him like a running back, you know, charging into the defense, there's going to be a lot of collisions there, and Giannis is going to draw a lot of foul calls. So I think for Phoenix uh, going forward, it's a team effort defensively. They've got to protect Aiton, uh, but these young guys, and all of a sudden, they both got to step up, Jim. No doubt. Ben Galbraith is joining us. I think you're right. They had lived a charm season. That's not to say that they won't still, but they both do need to step up. Like, Ben, if you were to take a step back and consider that we have an NBA Finals featuring Milwaukee and the Suns, what meaning do you make of that? For instance, how significant is it for the league that it has two new teams in the finals? Well, I think it's important as you know a showcase for some of these younger stars, guys like Giannis and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, to get an opportunity on the biggest stage where they become household names. Everyone starts to debate their games and, and kind of dissect what they can do. I mean, that's just not something that you get unless you're on that you know, premier showcase stage. I think it's interesting. Uh, It also reflects, though, so many injuries throughout this postseason, right? I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, if they have 
uh, you know, James Harden or Kyrie Irving uh, more healthy in that series. Did they get through Milwaukee? I would say so. On the Phoenix side, they benefited from Anthony Davis going down and uh, Jamal Murray being out for Denver and, and Kawhi Leonard being down uh, for the Clippers as well. But, I mean, this is really a series, you know, it's the last man standing. That's really how I look at these playoffs. Um, and, you know, for Phoenix, they have just been so steady through a lot of stuff themselves. Chris Paul, you know, t- you know has the COVID absence. Devin Booker breaks his nose. I mean, they've had their own share of adversity, and they've weathered it very, very well. So I think, you know, from a credibility standpoint for the NBA, Giannis being healthy for this series was huge. You know, if the Suns go out there and they just run through Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I think a lot of people would look at all these injuries and say, hey, this winds up being an asterisk season. But look, if Giannis winds up leading the Bucks back and winning this series, you know, 40-point game after 40-point game, that is an absolute triumph for his career. That's crowning a big-time new superstar. And if Chris Paul and company can hold that off and win this series, I think people will look at that as a validation that wouldn't have been there if Giannis wasn't healthy. So I think uh, everybody wins here with Giannis being back on the court, not just you know people who like to watch him play, but the Suns themselves uh, and the NBA at large. It's going to be great to see how it plays out. Ben Galver is joining us. Now, Ben, you are preparing to head to Tokyo for the Olympics. USA basketball lost to Nigeria in Vegas on Saturday night. Now, it'd be easy to say that it was just a matter of a team that barely had any time together before facing Nigeria and that Nigeria was red hot from three. At the same time, this is a Nigeria team that has won a total of two Olympic games and Ben lost to the U.S. by by 83 points in 2012. So is it just a matter of the U.S. getting up to speed, or is there more of a concern than that? No, Jim, remember, USA Basketball was supposed to be on a redemption tour. They finished seventh at the FIBA World Cup in what a lot of people thought was an embarrassing, almost humiliating performance, where they're just dropping game after game. They don't look like a team. They look like a collection of individuals, right? So they come back with an absolutely loaded roster. Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, They're basically starting five all-star level players, and they start this exhibition schedule. And you're thinking, well, if it's a redemption tour, that means it's going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance to start this thing. Let's get this off on the right foot. And instead, it was nothing but excuses. It was a flat performance, and it was Greg Popovich coming out and saying, we haven't had enough time together. You know, Nigeria has been training together for weeks. I don't care how long Nigeria has been training together, Jim. USA basketball should be able to handle Nigeria I didn't see a lot of collective effort on the defensive end in that opener. Their offense, they had no idea where to go. And I see two big flaws with their roster. They don't have a traditional point guard. They just have a lot of scores. Lillard's a scorer. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant's a scorer. Zach Levine's a scorer. Bradley Beal's a scorer. None of those guys are dis- distribution-minded players. And it really came back to bite them late in that game. They just couldn't run the offense to get themselves an open shot. It was a real problem. The other issue they've got is inside. They don't have the big physical centers. They're using Draymond Green, uh, Bam Adebayo, more versatile type guys, and then they have Kevin Love as well. They got absolutely pounded on the glass by Nigeria. So I think the good thing for USA here, they have a look at their flaws. Like They know what they need to fix, and hopefully it was also a wake-up call as well. I still think they're going to take gold over there in Tokyo. They've got by far the best collection of talent, but Greg Popovich needs to pull these guys together into a team They need to play hard and play together for each other. 
Um, and that's not something that we saw during the FIBA World Cup. And to me, that's a real open question. Uh, a lot of pressure on Popovich to get this thing done. Hey ben, one last thought about that. Not that they should need it, but there is some help on the way. The team is scheduled to add multiple players from the finals to their roster, but how do you think those guys will show up at the Olympics after a grueling season and a grueling postseason? Well, yeah, Devin Booker said it. He's like, I'm going to be on the first flight smoking. I mean, the turnaround time could be here a matter of a couple of days, right? Um, and so I think when you're bringing those guys in mid-tournament, you're hoping to ease them in. I mean, it's uh, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. I think those three guys have now played more minutes in the playoffs than any other players in the postseason. So they're coming in, um, you know, having played with real heavy burden. Now, the good news is with Booker, he's got young legs, I and mean, he's shown that throughout this playoffs. I mean, he's able to handle big minutes, so I think he's going to be able to kind of plug in however you want to plug him in. But to me, this USA basketball team, it's a referendum on Kevin Durant. He's the face of it. Um, this thing is built around him. He's had an incredible run as Olympic KD. I mean, he loves that shorter three-point line. He can get his shot off against anybody. No one has a good individual matchup for him. And so it's all about Kevin Durant channeling that version of the player who we saw at the end of the Bucks series, looking like the best player in the world and going out there improving it. And USA basketball deserves to be favored, but as we saw this week, they were 29.5-point favorites against Nigeria, and they dropped that game in Las Vegas at home. It's unbelievable. They've got to step up, and it starts with KD, who did not play very well in that game. Yeah, There were a lot of excuses, and I don't want to hear one. None of them were legit. You <laughs> cannot lose to Nigeria ever, ever. He is a national NBA writer for the Washington Post. He is host of Greatest of All Talk, an NBA show, good friend of the program, and if you have not gotten his book yet, you should. Bubble Ball is out right now. Ben, great to have you back. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure, Jim. Take care, man. Hey, let me ask you something. Can your office chair give you a massage while you're sitting at your desk? Mine can. Can your office chair warm your back on cold mornings or cool you off on hot days? Mine can. That's because I don't have any old no-name office chair. I have an X chair, and I absolutely love it. The secret is their patented dynamic variable lumbar support which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back and now introducing LMAX. The secret is their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers incredible lumbar support to your lower back and now introducing LMAX, featuring cooling, heat, and massage therapy. It is incredible. And LMAX offers four different massage modes and fast warming heat technology for therapy for your sore back. You will not believe the X-Chair difference until you feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. It is time to trade in your old, uncomfortable office chair and trade up to an X-Chair. X-Chair prices are going up on July 11th for the first time in two years, so beat the price increase. Go to xchairrome.com. That's the letter X chairrome.com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR and save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com now and use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairrome.com Caleb was talking about how, hey, Rome, the culture shock that you experienced, was it a result of people not wearing their masks or was it you stepping around hypodermic needles and human feces? And I said, I didn't see either one of those things. And then he signed it something to the effect of signed, 
pristine green grass in Wisconsin. And I said, there was nothing pristine about my green grass, just green geese crap over it. And then right as we ran out of time, I said, by the way, Wisco, Midwest, help me with that. What do I do about that? This says, dear fellow Wisco landowner, two ways to get rid of geese. Get yourself a good dog to chase them away or get a 12-gauge shotgun. Chris and Wisco, neither one of those things work for me. Number one, I'm not a shotgun guy. 12-gauge or otherwise. Number two, the reason I don't have a dog, and I am a dog guy, is I don't want dog crap. So if I use the dog to get rid of the geese crap, what do I use to get rid of the dog crap? That's not going to work. The other thing that came up repeatedly was from my neighbors, get a, lot, get a wire, get a wire. What kind of wire? Like fishing wire, barbed wire, electrical wire. I don't know. That, that's the one thing that came up. A few others said, get a gun. But mostly they just said, get wire, get some wire. Haunted horse tweets, goose crap. I can kill that problem for you. Son Maverick. That's right. Goose is dead. <laughs> Not these geese, man. They come back every single day. It's almost personal at this point. They, they know it's my house. Everybody does. But especially the geese. They're just looking at me like, what are you going to do? And, and they've got no fear whatsoever either, these geese. You know, so I'll go over and yell at them. And then that works. But they're pretty comfortable. Like, I know they're going to that boathouse of mine next to crap over that thing. They're going to go up the hill, into my house, crap on my couch, drink my beer, eat my food, sleep in my bed. Evan Clone 76 tweets, one way to bench the geese is to get a cutout coyote. Or 3D target and put it by your dock. Montana decoy is the place to get that cut out. War goose crap. All right, that's interesting. I have seen people put up like eagles. Bench the I don't know, salt. man. Like <clears throat> when I lived in the 818, we had a real problem on our upper balconies with bird crap. So I'd put those fake owls up there, man. Not only were they not afraid of the fake owls, they started to crap on the owls. That didn't work. 1-800-636-8686. Back to the fight. Sam in Grand Rapids tweets. I can't even understand what that leprechaun was saying from the mat after the fight. His next fight should be Cal in Vegas. Alvin, re that really quickly. Well, I could understand it. I heard exactly what he was saying. I just can't believe that he was trying to say what he was trying to say after getting his ass kicked for the second time in a row by the same guy and had a broken leg. I was boxing the bleeding head off him, kicking the bleeding leg off him. You will show you do it to close the distance. This is not over. If we had to take this outside with him, it's all outside. We don't give a He said that he believes that one of the kicks that he checked is what broke your leg. There was no check. There was not one of them I checked. Your wife is in me DMs, hey baby! Hit me back on Bonchatia later on! We'll be at the after party to win no club, baby! You don't understand that. 
seemed pretty clear to me what he just said. Your wife was in my DMs. There's an after party at the win, baby. See you there. And this whole notion of, hey, man, it's not over. I'll take this outside right now. Well, are they going to take you on a stretcher outside so you can finish what you started, Connor? <laughs> it's just absurd, right? All right, so let me talk for a minute about the last two weeks because you are calling about that. And my man, Tom, you got to pick up those phones. I'm just communicating with the new guy. Phone lines are ringing. I like that. 1-800-636-8686. First off, let me thank all the guest hosts who came in while I was down for the last two weeks and did an amazing job. The Sklars, Bill Ryder, Brian Weber. Thank you very much for holding it down so I could get that time. All right, so let me talk about this for a moment. And I've got Yonder Alonso coming up next segment. To this question of why the hell do I take so much vacation time? Per always, the reason I take so much vacation time is because I get so much vacation time. You knew that. Now, to the question of why would somebody who lives in Southern California, Orange County to be exact, and I'm from Los Angeles, why would somebody who lives in Southern California vacation in, much less buy land in Northern Wisconsin? And then next, what the hell do you do there, Rome? Let me answer the first question. And I'm not going to answer it the way I always do. That first question, why do we go to northern Wisconsin in the summer? Normally, I would answer that question by saying what I always say, the same reason anybody does anything because they can. Except this time, I'm not going to answer it like that. That's not why we go to northern Wisconsin in the summer. We go because it's awesome. Yeah, I said it. Northern Wisconsin is awesome. Now, either you get it or you don't, to which I would say, if you have been there and you still don't get it, then I just don't get you. But the fact is, it's not for everybody. Some people do go there and say, yeah, not about this life. I'm not really into this. I don't get this. But I do. It is for me. It's not for everybody, but it is for me and it is for my family. And to the question of what do I do all day long in northern Wisconsin, I'll tell you. Here's what I do all day long. Pretty much the same things every single day. I'm going to give you a a look at what a day in northern Wisconsin looks like for Tan Smack. I get up, and the first thing I do is I immediately slam a cup of joe. Then I mount the Peloton. I have one there. I mount the Peloton in the hopes of mitigating whatever damage I am sure to do the rest of the day because there's no getting around that. After all, it is northern Wisconsin. It is amazing. But there is cheese and candy and dairy and beer everywhere you look. Everywhere. You can't take a step without stepping in either geese crap or fried cheese. Hell, fried everything. Fried cheese, fried pickles, fried fish, fried ice cream, everywhere. I had this one post early on when I got there. There's a guy who lives up the street from me in Eagle River named Woody. Woody is a legend. An amazing guy. So my man has an omelet party. All right? And he's got like this amazing house with an amazing kitchen. And I roll in there after a bender the night before. And we hit it hard. We went hard. That was, I, I would say that 
We got nice every single night that I was there, but only went truly hard once or twice. That was one of those mornings after that we went hard, hard. And I ordered my omelet, and my man, and this is northern Wisconsin, right? Probably the whole state. And my man, and these omelets are crazy. Like I shot, there's a picture of it that I've got up right now, I think still on Instagram. These omelets are like not three egg omelets. They're like six egg omelets. And I'm good. Like if I slam that thing, I'm good for the entire day and probably half the next. So my man Woody says, hey, Jim, you want a pork chop? I'm like, a pork chop? Not like sausage links or a little pork on the side. My man's talking about a gigantic pork chop, like the size of a prime rib. I said, hey, Woody, no, thank you. No, sir, I'm good. He's like, really? Because you're getting one anyway. This is the way things go in that state. So I wake up every single morning. I have a cup of joe. Then I mount the Peloton to try to mitigate the damage that is sure to result. Next move, after the ride, which is non-negotiable. And I hit that thing 13 days in a row. I hit it 13 days in a row, not to brag, but to say... I had to do it to keep my head and not come back bloated as bleep. Then my next move, and I'm talking about every single day. My next move is to go down to my dock. And then I just sit there and I think. Good dock time. Good dock time. I think, man. I process. I think. Just think about where I am. You know, practice some gratitude. Think about where I want to go. Until inevitably somebody will come by. And it does not take long. Somebody will come by on a pontoon. Somebody will come by on a ski boat. Somebody will come by on a jet ski. There's a pretty good fishing hole out in front of our house. So somebody's going to come by no matter what. And it doesn't take long. And then they say one of three things. Literally. Everybody who comes by says one of three things to me. One, are you Jim Rome? Two, hey Rome, do you like it here? Do you like it here as much as last year? And three, and with a lot more attitude, hey, dude, stop hyping this place. We don't want anybody else coming here. Stop doing it. Every time I sit on my dock, people come by and they ask me one of those three things without fail. And to that last point, let me say this. Really, really sorry that I'm out here saying that you all live in the best place. Just know this. Not one person has ever come up to me and said, Hey, Rome, I came to northern Wisconsin because of a 15-second story that you posted on Instagram. Oh, hell yeah, Rome. I went right out and I booked a VRBO and I bought plane tickets and I spent thousands of dollars because of something you said online. Not only has that not happened, it's never going to happen. This isn't Javier's with locations everywhere where people show up and say, Jim Rome has been hyping this restaurant for years. He told me to come, so I did. That's not what this is. This is freaking northern Wisconsin. It is not an easy place to get to. And I've never once said, hey, get your ass here. It's the best place. Well, half that's true. I may, in fact, have said it's the best place. But I'm not recruiting. I'm not telling people to come here. I'm not funding people's trips so they can find out. In fact, the next clone who just randomly shows up there because I hyped it will be the first. 
And in the event that that were ever to happen, and it won't, locals, trust me, it will be the last. And not because they won't like it. It's just because it's not happening. So you have nothing to worry about, locals. Nothing to worry about. I am not recruiting people. Nobody's coming there because of what I said on my Instagram feed. But that said, I want to respect the place. I want to respect you. I will dial back my love of that place. But it's going to be hard. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And then I want to take a moment and take a break because I've got an interview coming up with Yonder Alonso. But as we come back and I kind of spread this throughout, I want to tell you how I spend the rest of my day. Once I get off of the dock and I'm done defending myself against the locals who think that I'm wrecking their community. And not everybody does. In fact, it's only a few. Most people are like happy to have us, happy to see me, and happy that I love it so much. And I do. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkled donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms that your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at Investor.gov, your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. Yonder Alonzo is my guest. Yonder, it's been a few years since you and I last spoke. How are you doing, and how is life for you right about now? Oh, man. Thank you guys for uh, you know letting me join your show. Uh, doing fantastic. Just a, a crazy day today with uh, obviously the workout days, the media day, um, with all the players. And, and, you know, we have the draft going on right now downstairs in the lobby. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun for the fans, but definitely a lot of fun for the players. All right. Yonder Alonso joining us. You sound just like you've always sounded. You know, it's been a few years since we spoke, but let me ask you this. You made the transition from player to analyst, and frankly, I think you made it look pretty easy. What was that process like for you? Well, first of all, thank you very much. Um, it, it is not easy at all. Um, you know, I, I'm just thankful for everybody that has been surrounding me at the network. Um, you know, they've been great. They, they team, team me up fantastically. Um, I'm learning every day on the job. And to be honest, quite frankly, I'm just I, I'm myself, right? I'm honest. Uh, I'm trying to pretty much uh, talk about the game and, and all the new things that are going on. But on top of that, trying to teach, you know, a, a 15-year-old, uh, simplifying the game a little bit. You know, nowadays you have all these things going on with launch angles and, you know, strikeouts and spin rate and this and that. Well, how about just hit a baseball and hit a line drive? Uh, that, that's always been working, and there's no there's no answer for, for a shift with that. I love that. Yonder Alonso is joining us. All right, so the All-Star game itself is tomorrow night. You were an All-Star back in 2017. When you and I spoke in 2017, we talked about that amazing journey that you and your family took when you defected from Cuba. You came to Miami. You were eating cold 39-cent cheeseburgers from McDonald's to save money and more. It's an absolutely amazing story. So what did it mean to you to have that story include a trip to the all-star game and for that game in miami oh my goodness i mean look we're, we're talking about a guy who um you know the all-star game was at marlin's park but before that it was the orange bowl and, and i used to sneak my way into the orange bowl to try to go catch a miami hurricanes game so for me just being able to you know go back there obviously i have a history where you know all my friends and my family and my parents and my sister uh went to school there just being a part of that and and, and it was more of a 
I'm giving back. This was my giving back to, to my family, my friends, for, for obviously the journey. Because, you know, every baseball player that's in the All-Star game, they have a journey of themselves, right? It's, it's not just, hey, I grew up, I, I woke up, and I was born to just play this beautiful game and, and be really good at it. No, 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 no. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of things that go on. Um, I, I heard yesterday in the draft, you know, to be good and, and be where you're at, it, it's not done alone, right? It's done with a group. It's done with a team. And for me, it was just more of a, of a giving back and saying thank you to, to everybody that was surrounding me. I get it. Yonder Alonso joining us. Now, in that particular game, you were the only member of the group known as the 305 Boys. For those who do not know, who is in that group and what is that group all about? Oh, well, man, we have a lot of guys. I mean, it's pretty much everybody that, that's from Miami, uh, Manny Machado. Who he he's probably he's the only one representing uh, the Miami boys this week as well as myself I guess included but you know we have Eric Hosmer we have John Jay uh, at the time we have Danny Valencia uh, Marrero brothers of the Ferrero brothers I mean this all the guys who are from Miami they get put in that group uh, as the three or five boys. All right, so what about Manny Machado, who you mentioned? You and he go way back. He talks about you as a mentor. What do you remember about meeting him for the first time? Oh my goodness, uh, a sixteen-year-old lost puppy uh a guy who who was just getting into just getting done with high school and uh but you know just a a pure talent but an even better person Uh, a guy who um family first as always uh, a guy who wears his uh his his pretty much his character on his uh, sleeves um just a really loyal person um but you know again we're we're, when we're talking about baseball he's clearly one of the best third basemen in in the game and and you know, hopefully in the future, it'll be one of the best that they've ever seen. So, you know, he's just a great guy, all-around guy. I talked to him last night. He was getting in last night. We'll see him this morning, and hopefully I get to interview him and pretty much mess around with him as much as possible. Yonder Alonso joining us. We're getting ready for the All-Star game. Now, MLB Network, Yonder, as I mentioned, is airing a documentary on Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, this guy's absolutely, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, he is sensational. He is electric. How do you explain what he's doing at such a young age? You know, I, I think it's just fantastic, and, and a lot of credit has to be, you know, I think done to, to, to his dad and his mom. You know, the, these, this guy has just been on an absolute tear since he's been in the show. This is a guy who understands and is very comfortable in his own skin. He's a guy who, who works very hard, you know. I mean, you know, you, you look at a guy and you see him making all these crazy plays. You see him making all these, you know, hitting all these crazy home runs, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into that that people don't really see, you know, in the batting cages or – you know, this is a guy who, who, when he got done with the season last year, he didn't stop playing. You know, he went and played winter ball. He went and got himself ready. And you ask him, and I ask him, I go, hey, why are you playing winter ball? He right. says, you know, i, I got to get better in a couple things that I want to work on, including base running. And for a guy to do those things, a guy who, who is considered an MVP type of caliber guy, you just don't see that anymore, right? Especially a kid who's 22 years old. I mean, you see a guy usually just enjoying, you know, his his, his season and, and going back home and just having it with his friends and you know maybe uh just not working out as much no 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 this guy went back and this guy you know got his his, his behind in shape and worked on some stuff in in the off season played in some winter ball games and well you see it now it's definitely paying off for him a generational talent saying that he wants to play winter ball to work on his base running is incredible Yonder Alonso is joining us. Now, as long as we're trying to explain amazing players, what about Shohei Otani? I mean, you played the game at the highest level. You were an all-star. You know how hard it is to be a major league hitter or a major league pitcher. So how do you explain this guy doing both at the level he's doing it? 
here's the situation with Shohei, right? And it's like, yeah, we talk about him a lot, but we really don't, right? I mean, look, the next time somebody's going to see this guy play, there's, there's a good chance we might not. We might The next player that comes out and does the same thing as Shohei Otani, we might not be around in this world. And, and for me, it's like every time we compare about Shohei, we're talking about Babe Ruth. And I didn't get the chance to see Babe Ruth. And yet, here we are. I can only imagine, like, man, I wish I could see more video on Babe Ruth. Well, I wish we could talk more about Shohei Otani because what he's doing right now, he's a guy who's throwing 100 miles an hour, which is, by the way, not easy to hit. Right? So he's your ace on a team. He's your best pitcher on a team. He is your catalyst to stop a losing streak at all costs. But then on top of that, he's your third batter. He's your guy that when you need him most to drive in a run, that's the guy you want at the plate. So this is 100% of Shohei Otani, and I just hope that when there's a, a guy like this, and I was talking about it with my friends the other day, I, I wish that wherever Shohei Otani goes to play, it is a sold-out crowd because what we are seeing every single day, we will never see again. I don't think that you could talk about this guy enough. I mean, we could talk about this guy every day, all day, and it still wouldn't be enough. I mean, I, I can't even – I simply cannot get my head wrapped around what this guy is doing. Now, when you look around the league, and I could talk to you about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well and the numbers he's putting up. When you look around Major League Baseball, though, right now, and you see all these young guys putting up the numbers they're putting up, how exciting is that for the future of the game? Oh, my goodness. The future is bright. Listen, there's 40 first-time All-Stars, the most ever – in the history of the game, right? So most of them are between 20 and 23 years old. So we're looking at a talent of not only now, but probably for the next 10, 15 years, we are going to see these guys and much more guys come in and, and, and just surprise the world with their talents. And now it's just amazing to see, right? We're, we're seeing Guerrero Jr., Bichette, uh, Tatis. These are all guys that, that grew up around the game. These are all guys that grew up around that coming to all-star games. And, for all of them to be here for the first time and, and understand what that All-Star game means to them, I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see them play. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a, a, a festival of just how much fun these guys are, are having. And, you know, clearly, I can't wait to see this. Yonder Alonso joining me for another moment or so. All right, so one of the big talking points over the last few weeks and one of the big talking points in the game has been the enforcement of rules on what pitchers use for grip. I want to ask you, Yonder, as a hitter, where do you come out on pitchers using the sticky stuff? Well, you know, it, it's kind of a, a fine line with what you can do and what you cannot do. Um, I, I think for me, it's fine if you have something, something that's going to, you know, maybe have a little bit of better grip for the hand. But listen, no question about it. Um, when you are doctoring the, the ball with, you know, whatever they were doing, it, it's different. And, and I remember, you know, my last couple of years, man, I, I was facing some guys that I had really good career against throughout my career and, and really good numbers against them. And, you know, my last couple of years there, I was like, man, these guys, like, they really took a, a, a next level type of, of pitching and performance because I can't even touch these guys. And, you know, I, I think when you look at it and when you look at the numbers and you look at the RPMs, it's clearly, it was getting to a point where, it was pretty much wiffle ball, and it was wiffle ball in the sense of what the ball was doing, right? It was like I would, I would see some pitches, and I would lay off some pitches that I would say, wow, I laid off that pitch because I just simply didn't see it. And that's what the stuff – that was the stuff that was happening in our game right now. And I think, look, batting averages have gone up, slugging has gone up, runs have gone up ever since they put a really hefty rule on, on this situation. And Good for the game. I think anytime you have uh, players that are, are, are wanting to play fair and, 
you know, everything on the line is about just you realistically having that performance. It's always good for the game. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes, discover.com slash yes, 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. We go to the R-E-X in the A-B-Q. Hello, Rex. Hey, Jim. Uh, is this the human cockfighting segment? Uh, I don't know why Connor's ankle went Mr. Snappy, and I really don't care. But at least Connor capitalized financially on his act during his career. Unlike that lying little bitch, Chael Sonnen, you know, if I ever see that fat ass at the Cheesecake Factory, I'm going to jam his face with a slice of red velvet and finish him off with a nice choke slam. Out. Hmm. How about Rex? I'll tell you what, Rex. I respect you changing up. And not necessarily because you just threaten Chael. Stony in Sacktown. Stony, what's going on? Aloha, brother. Welcome back to L.A., man. Hey. I uh, saw through your stories there on Instagram, dude, that uh, you're having a good time. But, Pimp, i got to tell you, Lipitor, brother. If you're going to go back to Wisco, take Lipitor. I'm not worried about your weight. I'm worried about your cholesterol. Mm, that's a good point. Second thing, second thing is Conor McGregor has been a Delta Bravo ever since he hit Uncle Shaky in that bar. So I think a lot of folks are thinking, man, this guy's got no class. And it's difficult, too, when you've got your nephews and other young guys that are watching, thinking that they may want to go into the sport, and then all of that trash gets done. Very bad scene, uh, Jimmy. I really wish that uh, maybe he could take a sabbatical for, like, the next 10 years because, you know what, at the end of the day, it takes the sport down. It takes everything down. Appreciate your support. Glad you're back. Ritz also there, too. War the Cleveland Browns, and I'll talk to you next time. Wisconsin. Vincent apparently has a solution to my problem. Let's go there right now. Vincent, good to have you. What's going on? Thanks for the vine, Jimmy. Uh, first of all, Caleb in Green Bay, embrace the term fat and happy, dude. What are you doing? I shouldn't have to feed you that line. Jimmy, the green and pristine grass is definitely getting defecated on by these geese, and there's only one thing to do. Uh, they are social animals. They have great memories. And so what you got to do, and this is the only thing I've ever seen work, is you got to grab one of them geese by their long-ass necks, twist them around like uh, Conor McGregor's ankle, and slam them to the ground in front of all the other geese. And then they won't come back to your property. The hell with getting a dog, dude. You don't need a dog. You're not up here very often. Which, speaking of all your California uh, clones that are thinking of coming to Wisconsin, don't. Just don't. Enjoy your uh, needle beaches, your sewage beaches. Just enjoy that dirty water you have in California. And don't come here. We, we really don't want you. We don't want people from Illinois. We don't want people from Minnesota. Jim, we're glad to have you. Enjoy Eagle River. I'm out. My man, Vincent. Let's go to Pittsburgh because I always like going to Pittsburgh. I just do. Kelly in Pittsburgh. Good to have you, Kelly. How are you? Hey, Jim, welcome back. Jim, I, real quick, I just wanted to let you know, we've been dealing with this problem for decades over here. We have, we have three rivers and the ponds and the lakes and everything around the area. But more importantly, 
I, uh, I drive truck. We pull out of power plants and chemical plants, and it just attracts these because the grass grows like crazy. The grass is actually poisonous. Digestive systems, it doesn't matter. But what's attracted them to your property, you're exactly right. You didn't have grass. They're root and seed feeders is what they are. The nice part for you is you can actually contract the professional dog handlers to come in and get rid of those geese. You don't have to buy the dog. And the nice part is you're not always there. They can do it when you're not there. What the dog does is, and they actually have professional dog and dog handlers for geese and other herding animals that cause this kind of problem. And what they do is the dogs will scare the geese because they remember, like that man said with the memory, and they'll never come back. The dogs will scare them. The geese will herd away. They'll know. And, and, and here, the best part is you don't buy the dog. You rent the dog, essentially. But uh, if you look into it, you'll be able to find a contractor, a perf- you know, professional handler that'll take care of the problem for you. My man. I love that, Kelly. Nice job. Rack him. Let me respond to that, Kelly. Now we're talking. That, to me, is reasonable. So, in other words, <laughs> this is great. So, when I go to Eagle River, the Northwoods, northern Wisconsin... I rent a boat, I rent a car, and now I can rent a dog. Chris in Oshkosh. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, good. How are you doing, man? Good, dude, good. Good. Hey, I got uh, something for that uh, goose problem. Uh, Growing up in Wisconsin, we grew up on a lake south of Eagle River. My dad and I always had a ton of uh, geese doing the exact same thing that you're having issues with. And I kid you not, bottle rockets. Just light bottle rockets at them. They will, they will go away, and I would say they won't come back. For If they do come back, just keep lighting them. And they remember, right? They know. They're smart enough, and they know, and they've got memory, right? Yeah, for real, for sure. And uh, I don't know about that whole wringing their neck thing. Um, if you've never been attacked by a goose, I wouldn't advise it because uh, they're they they ruthless. Are they mean? Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, for real. I mean, I like to hunt them because I hate them so much. (laughs) I got you, Chris. All right, thanks, man. Good looking out. His answer? Bottle rockets. Lane Johnson. Lane, it's so good to have you on. How are you? Man, doing doing good, man. Uh, Getting ready for training camp. We start the 27th, so, uh, you know, a couple weeks training and and getting ready to get after it. I can tell, man, because before we get into all that, I saw you tweet a video of yourself hitting a heavy deadlift today. There were a lot of plates on that bar. I got to ask, how heavy was that, and how good did that particular lift feel? Uh, It didn't feel very good at all. (laughs) Uh, It it, it was a max effort day for a bunch of the guys here, but it was uh, 720. Woo, 720. Yeah, I bet that didn't feel good at all. All right, so let me ask you this. Like, obviously, you're going to hit the weights hard, right? But how much of your job is about pure strength, and then how much of it is about skill and technique? Um, I would say skill and technique takes over for strength. There's a lot of guys that aren't very strong that are that are good football players, and I've seen guys that are very weight room strong that aren't good football players. So I feel like at the tackle position, you have to have elite feet to change direction, and to compete with the Demon Savans, who I think are probably you know the best athletes on the field. Hmm, interesting. I'm going to get to that point in a minute. Lane Johnson joining us. I mean, to the point, though, that you just mentioned, you were recently at the Offensive Line Mastermind Summit. What was that experience like, and what did you take away from it? Like, what's that time like there? 
Yeah, it's been awesome. You know, my whole premise was to get guys around the league, and then eventually college guys started coming. So we started out a few years ago with about 20 guys. Um, last year was around 70 due to COVID, and then this year was up to around 160 players um, and coaches. So uh, we got there. Uh, we talk a lot of ball. We watch a lot of film. Um, and then we have breakout sessions. So any guys that have any questions about others' game or other people's games and and, uh, you know, what they're doing as um, far as lifting-wise, training-wise, um, you know, as far as technique-wise on, on some certain types of plays. So really just a great way to, to spread knowledge and to get the guys kind of in a football mindset a few weeks before camp starts. So uh, moving forward, man, I would love to get, uh, you know, the Hall of Famers like a Joe Thomas, Larry Allen, get some of those guys in there as well. So in the future, that's, that's kind of my plan. We're talking to Lane Johnson. You know, the Hall of Famers are one thing, right? But you've gotten some guys who no longer play, guys like Owen Krutz and yeah. some of the others. Like, what's it, what do you get out of having former players? What do they bring to it? What's it like to get around them? Well, I think uh, having those guys around, you can see why they're so great. When, when you talk about Olin Cruz, when he talks, he uh, he commands a lot of attention, and he's just a uh, a brilliant player. When you hear him talk football, you can tell he's very smart and how he trains and kind of his mindset. And I think one of the biggest takeaways was, you know, everybody's really trying to is ready for week one. He said, but he always tried to prepare his body for the last last game of the season. So try to pace yourself, not go out too early and, and burn out. So. That was pretty special having him there and just uh, you know spreading the knowledge and, and guys soaked it up. I actually love that point that everybody's still locked in on week one, but right, great. So that's week one, and now you've got 15 other weeks. You know, one of my favorite yeah. things, you mentioned this, that defensive ends are the best athletes on the field. One of my favorite things to do is when I talk to an EFE or elite offensive lineman is to talk about the matchups. Like, who are the pass rushers that you love to go up against? The guys who you know, like, you're going to bring it no matter what, but the guys who you know are going to be your biggest challenge and are going to bring out the very best in you. Who are a few guys who do that? Uh, yeah, so this year, um, they got matching up with Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. Uh, those are guys that I usually, or, you know, any guys you have like that that are leader, you, you got to bring it. But for my division, it's usually Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, he used to be Ryan Kerrigan, now he's on our team. But uh, you talk about great edge rushers, you know, the Miles Garrett's of the world, the, the Khalil Max, um, Devon Millers, those types of guys are extremely twitchy, have terrific bend, flexibility, and just super athletes. You know, you see Miles Garrett, what he's able to do with the basketball. Most people don't know, I think Von Miller was a state champion in, in the hurdles in Texas. So when you're talking about defensive ends, you're talking about the freakiest guys on the field as far as size, speed, and strength. So, yeah, man, it's, it's a challenge every week. And, and like I said, technique takes over for, for everything. It's like Lane Johnson. You mentioned what guys and Miles Garrett. I, I agree with you. Like, well, what this guy does running up and down the floor and what he can do with the basketball is mind blowing. And I'm going to get to that and what you can do with the basketball. But I want to ask you this: It was a tough season for the team last year, but a painful season for you because you played through pain. Ultimately, you had season-ending ankle surgery. What was that process like? Like, you know you're going to get hurt. Everybody will. But how frustrating is it when it happens and you have to abandon that fight and you can't be out there in the battle with your teammates? Yeah, it was, it was terrible. Um, you know, I had to shut it down. Just try. I didn't want to jeopardize my career. What happened was I had surgery, tightrope surgery. I played about two and a half, three weeks right after. Um, and then eventually the tightrope screws broke through, so just scar tissue was hanging out. So really the inside of my ankle was just like a wobbly shopping cart and for pass protection, I could get by. Uh, I, I was really probably one of my better years in pass pro, but far as 
a run game, having any power, it took away a lot. So um, eventually I shut it down, uh, got surgery in Green Bay, and just now, um, you know, had a good rehab process. And, and really, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. I know Brandon Brooks is uh, coming off the injuries, you know, a lot of doubters. But, you know, uh, with a lot of guys in, in, in a variety of sports, you know, that's what fuels you. That's that's a part of the game, and, 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 it's, and it always has been. So looking forward to, to getting back to, to game one healthy and, and finishing the season healthy. Lane Johnson joining us, which brings me back to basketball. You know, I'd ask you how your ankle was feeling and how you were doing, but again, I saw you post a video of you throwing one down. In fact, a reverse dunk. So I'm guessing that ankle's feeling pretty good. Am I right? And then how fired up are you to get back? Feeling good, man. Yeah, it's just, uh, well, first of all, basketball is my first love. I probably always loved basketball more than I did football. But eventually, uh, you know, swung towards uh, swung towards football for a career choice. But, yeah, man, I'm eager to get back. I know, you know, as far as, you know, us, the Eagles, uh, had a terrible season last year, underperformed. We have a lot of new faces, a new coach. And so for us, you know, moving forward, um, and for me personally, to try to shut it down as far as media, this is I'm wrapping it up and, and getting ready to, you know, you got to go prove it week in and week out. We started in Atlanta. So, you know, we had a good OTA session coming in, um, a new playbook, you know, a lot of the same things, just different terminology. So you have to kind of unlearn, you know, five or six years or whatever it was of, of that offense and learn new terms. So had a great OTA uh, session. And then we start up the 27th and, and slowly ramp this thing up. Um, you know, they limited preseason to three games. So, um, but the clock's ticking, man. I know we're excited. Um, Philly's excited and, and just ready to get this thing rolling. Dude, you do sound locked in. And in terms of you shutting down media, I appreciate you mixing this one in before you do so. Before I let you go, in terms of that upcoming season, you were recently talking to NFL Radio about Jalen Hurts and the way he yeah. carries himself as a vet. What has impressed you the most about him, both as a player and as a guy who can lead? Um, you know, I like how he works. You know, usually he, he usually works out pretty early, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, gets his work in. He doesn't say a whole lot. And, and to some people, that's a turnoff, but that's, they just they haven't got the time to know him. Uh, he's, he's an extreme competitor. He came from, um, you know, his dad's a coach, coaching background. And, and what I liked about him most is how he handled himself um, going from Alabama to Oklahoma when I feel a lot of guys would have maybe – he thrown a fit or, or made a scene about it. I feel like he carried himself um, very maturely. And really, he's, he's, he had a, he's had a great OTAs. We had Joe Flacco um, as another guy um, that's also a leader. Uh, he's coming back home. I think he's from around here. So having those two guys will be tremendous for us. But, yeah, he's had a, he's had a great OTAs. And, uh, man, he commands respect when he walks in the huddle. Hey, I'm curious about this, Lane. You mentioned that basketball was your first love, but you're also a big, big UFC fan. This is an enormous UFC house. As one athlete watching others, what is it about that sport or combat sports, not even combat sports, MMA, that appeals to you yeah. so much? What appeals to me so much? Well, I went and trained with, with Glazer. He has a lot of UFC fighters that come and train in there, and just their training regimen is 10 times harder than or mentally harder than what, football players go through you know these guys will have a striking coach a boxing coach a jiu-jitsu coach and really spend all day in the gym as far as um you know they're training if they're training for a five-minute fight they'll have days where they go in the gym and have a new person a fresh person coming in there each round sparring so just the mentality that those guys have 
Um, and really, I mean, that sport is about the most brutal sport there is. I mean, there's nothing more violent than that. And I'm just a big fan, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of all the guys that go in the ring. Um, I, I like different styles of fighters. It's like boxers. Everybody has a different style. And, and that's what uh, appeals to me about it. And it's, it's a lot of fun seeing different matchups and different guys face off against each other. I agree, man. It, it's a different breed. I think all you guys are, yes. no matter what. But it, it's a different breed. Yeah, and it, it, MMA is a totally different level. You can you can play football, but you can't you can't play fighting because if you do, you'll you'll go out there and embarrass yourself and get hurt. What a great point. Lane Johnson, my guest. One last thought. Last year you launched Outside the Lane. It's an Instagram live interview program, and you've had some really good guests, guys. And I say this to somebody who's been interviewing athletes for, like, well, a long, long time. You've had Mike Vick, Charles Barkley, Brett Favre. What do you like about that? What's that experience been like for you? Well, it was different, you know, doing it live. I really didn't prepare any notes. I just came off the hook. But what I liked about it is just hearing their perspective on their careers, how they handled their business how they handled their challenges and that's what makes uh, each person unique and and to you know for them to give me a little bit of time to do that and learn more about them and and the fans that's really all I wanted so um uh, you know and I guess in that profession that's that's all you really want is to you know kind of see their side and what their their lifestyle is like so it was man it was it it was really cool um you know hopefully maybe I can do that uh post-career but Right now, man, I, I got to get focused uh, for the season, stay healthy, and, and go out there and, and win, win ball games. That's really my main focus. I get it. Good night now.